What's Your Story? from the Lutheran Church of the Atonement, Barrington, Illinois. Uh, Hello and welcome to the What's Your Story podcast. I'm Doug Bradbury, and with me in the storytelling booth today is Beth Nyland. Hello, Beth. Hello. How are you, Doug? Good. Uh, Now, Beth has her own storytelling business, and your business card, you said, calls yourself a what? (laughs) My job title, self-proclaimed, is Corporate Poet. And then the second part of it is cutter of crap. But crap isn't just crap. It's an acronym that stands for corporate rhetoric and pomposity. So my mission is to get people telling stories in a plain spoken way Mm. with everyday language. Mm. Is, is pomposity a word even? No, I think no? I'm... Well, if it is, it is a crap word. So on purpose, <laughs> my title kind of yeah, demonstrates yeah. the very thing I'm trying to root out. Great. Yeah. So you're, you're in helping companies um, and, and presumably executives in those companies tell their stories, refine them, tell them in a way that people will remember them. Exactly. So yeah. a lot of the people that I work with are senior management or executive level. I also work a lot with sales teams and sometimes even with accounting and risk management teams, mm. compliance teams, some of the divisions of businesses that have complicated stories to tell and are often told by their colleagues, we don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> so yeah. they look for somebody who can teach storytelling skills, and that often leads them to someone like me. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're here at uh, Lutheran Church of the Atonement on a Wednesday night, mm-hmm. and Beth just led a workshop for uh, you had the high school jam kids. We had confirmation in there, and then a smattering of other adults who came uh, for the event today. And uh, you kind of walked us through a workshop exploring the uh, three key elements of storytelling. I'm wondering if you could just talk about those briefly for those who weren't here tonight. Sure. Um, what what do they need to include when they're trying to put together a good story about their faith? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing is, I I did come with a prescription of three things. I think three is a good, uh, memorable number. I can remember them, There's a trinity for a reason, Uh right? Trinity works. So really, if we were to talk about all of the elements that make a good story, we'd need an entire semester. Hmm. But you can boil down three key elements that can help all of us be more mindful of how we tell a story, how we craft a story. So the three things we talked about tonight were details, Choosing the right details, the vivid details, the details that are going to work for the audience we need to reach. Using imagery, so painting a picture, putting everybody in the scene so that we can see and hear and feel and live that moment right along with the storyteller. And then finally, the third thing we talked about was tension and conflict, which is what makes a story interesting. Without tension and conflict, Nobody goes anywhere. Hmm. So by just talking about those three things, and it was stunning how everybody could remember those three things because we hit them over and over again. Mm -hmm. And just in the telling of very simple stories about things like cows, (laughs) which we actually had tonight, Uh, a story about a steer. We did. did. A steer who was mean and tasty, Mm. right, just by telling and processing those stories and picking out what were the details, what were the images, what was the conflict, we can study how stories work. And the more conscious we are of those things, the better we become in telling everyday stories every day. Uh, You you workshopped a few stories for us today. And we had, I think, two good examples of when it comes to details, Mm -hmm. of details that sort of uh, move the story forward, and we had one example of a detail that really <clears throat> distracted some people in the room. 
how how can you tell the difference when you're putting together a story? Like what details need to be in there and what details will just get in the way for the listener? Yeah, that was fascinating, wasn't yeah. it? You know, so uh, just for the listeners of the podcast, what happened was a gentleman stood up and told his story and he was a good student. So he listened to me mm-hmm. talk about how to do this and he purposely picked details and he included a last name in a story that happened long ago, far away. But he picked a last name that was familiar to me. Mm. It was not a nor- it wasn't Smith. It was an unusual name. Mm-hmm. I knew the name, and as soon as he said that name, I stopped listening to his story, and I started. I got into my own head. Yeah, I started thinking about your own my own story, you know, right? Yep. Yeah, because mm-hmm. my I put it. I wanted to put my story together with his so badly that my brain took over and I stopped listening yep. to him. You lost it. I did. Mm-hmm. And as the leader of the workshop, I had to think really carefully about how to get back in. And I knew I had missed at least two sentences of what he was saying. So I tried to cover for it. But then I thought, well, this is a teachable moment. So I said at the end, you know, there was one detail that he gave that took me off track and oddly enough, the woman sitting right in front of me said, I knew someone by that name, too. Yeah. And she and I both had that same listener's experience of being distracted from his story because that one detail sent us on our own path. So we had a good conversation about that. And the truth is, he did the right thing. He was picking details to really illuminate that story and try to put us in it. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't have predicted that two members of his audience would be distracted. Mm-hmm. The way you'd choose those details is to really know your audience. And so if he had known that there were two of us in the room who were going to be distracted, he would have never, ever given that detail. He didn't see it coming. So Study your audience, know who's in your audience, and then share your story with some people ahead of time before you put it on the big stage Mm -hmm. or reveal it in whatever form you're ultimately going to do and see how it plays and Mm -hmm. see if it is a distraction to someone else. You walked us through a great process tonight of um, uh, setting timers and Mm -hmm. writing and rewriting and then testing your story or sharing it, putting it out there to see how people react and how what details people remember. Mm-hmm. Um, could you outline that sure. for our listeners here? Yeah. yeah. So the first thing is, and you mentioned the timer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all have a tendency, I shouldn't say all, there probably are some very disciplined, good people out there who get a writing assignment or know that they have a story to tell, and they dive right in and they, they go after it. Most of us are not wired that way. Most of us procrastinate. So I personally know that my own writing process involves a lot of putting off. And for years, I put off writing because I thought I needed big expanses of time to get the work done. And it isn't true. And we saw that in action tonight when I set a timer for three minutes. I gave a very basic assignment. Well, we were just supposed to write a memory, basically, about a moment in time. And when the three minutes were over, I had everybody hold up their paper to show how much, how many words they had written. And the amounts varied pretty widely, but there were people in the room who had covered an entire eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper in three minutes with a pen sitting in a church pew. You know, not even Mm -hmm. a desk to write on. So the first thing is to use the pressure of time to get past your own mental roadblocks and just write. Because you stop, when you have such a short amount of time, you stop critiquing, right? Yes. You're just trying, you just 
go as fast as you can to get the story out. Mm-hmm. Your internal critic or your internal editor doesn't have time to fire you up. Yeah. You just write. So that's the first thing. Use it the benefit of a timer to get something done. And then uh, the, I guess the next big thing is the process of workshopping. So that's what we did tonight. We had some very brave souls stand up and read what they had written in only three minutes' time. And then all they did was read. We didn't let them make any excuses. We all had the same parameters for doing the writing anyway, so there was no sense in making excuses about what they had done. And they just waited then for us to reflect on what we heard. And the two questions that we asked ourselves while we listened to them were, what sticks? So what are the details or the images or the facts even that after hearing this telling of the story, what am I still holding on to? What mm-hmm. stayed with me? Mm-hmm. That's the first big So question. that's a good indication of, of what's strong in that story, right? Yeah. Where you can focus and embellish more and develop deeper. Yes. Because those are the things that connect. Yes. Yeah. It could be, what is the thing that I want to emphasize? It could also be, we didn't have this experience tonight. Every once in a while, though, I'll be in a workshop like that. Somebody will read their story, and we will reflect back what we heard, and they will say, oh, my gosh, that's not at all what <laughs> I want to do. That's the detail I want to do to that's, remember. Yes. So then that's yeah. a good cue to the, the writer to go back and say, okay, gosh, how do I change this so that the focus is on what I really intended? Yeah. They would have never known that necessarily had they not had the courage to share with somebody else. So that's what workshopping does for you. It gives you – it's like putting yourself in a mirror and being able to know what the reflection really shows instead of what you think you see. Yeah. So the first question is what sticks. And then the second important question is what are the openings? And openings can be, wow, I have a sense of curiosity. Now that you've told me that part of your story, here's what I want to know next. An opening can also be, gosh, you know, you left out one little detail, and I feel like if I knew what color the car was, I'd have a much better appreciation for the scene. Or if I knew how old your grandmother was, that would make a big difference to me. So what openings, what what gaps did you leave, or what space did you create where we can continue the conversation? Just asking those two questions Mm. and reflecting back to somebody what you've heard in their story can be so helpful in shaping how you want to change or modify or amplify your story mm-hmm. as a person who wants to tell it again. Because mm-hmm. hopefully you do want to tell it yeah. again. Yeah. And our um, we've got this great opportunity for people in the congregation to do that in the small group series that we're doing. We're doing um, different kinds of ways to tell stories. A couple of weeks ago, we did your three-word story. Yes. Right? Similar to your setup today of, of – um, my favorite blank is blank and blank. Right. right? Just those that short story. Um, but we've been essentially workshopping in these small groups, people telling their stories and um, practicing them with each other so that they become tools, language of our faith that we can use in awesome. our everyday. You know, the practicing, that's where the confidence comes from. The yeah. more you – it does take courage, especially with a faith story, mm-hmm. to speak up. And one of the things we heard at the end of the session tonight was with our faith stories, we're often tempted to shortcut through the hard parts as tellers. And we think that just telling the lesson Mm -hmm. is enough. Mm -hmm. And we shortchange our audience then or our friends because what's really interesting to us and what we learn from is the hardship or the journey, the tension and the conflict that taught us the lesson. Mm. 
And what's what's fascinating about stories, there's a lot of brain science out now that suggests that how stories work in the brain and why they work in the brain. And one of the things I've learned by reading just a little bit of the science is stories work for us because our brains don't really know the difference between what we're really living and the stories that Mm. we're observing or hearing. Mm. So a good story captures my brain so much that I am actually in it. And so if you just tell me your lesson learned from your faith experience, you don't give me the chance to travel the road with you. You don't get to enter the story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So having the courage, and you know, the details do matter. You don't have to share every detail. You don't have to tell everything. But just revealing certain details, enough for somebody to be able to say, oh my goodness, that's exactly what I Mm. went through, or I felt that way once. Then we can connect the dots between each other, and the lessons will be more meaningful. So that's why I crusade for stories all the time, not not necessarily even just in faith communities, but in workplaces. When we're honest and we tell a good story, we can get something done. Yeah. We can yeah. make things happen. Mm-hmm. It, it, uh, they kind of break down the ego in the workplace too, right? The, totally, yeah. The best um, storytellers don't have yeah. – well, of course <laughs> we have egos, but um, we're able to suspend our ego yeah. and uh, – be vulnerable. We identify, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's kind of the, the beef I have with like the life application Bibles, <laughs> right? When you read through and they tell you what it means yes. along the side and you almost lose the story for, you know, for the point that some author decided this is what you should get out of this. That's interesting. As opposed to reading the Bible for the story and letting that story itself do its own work on you and you finding application after application of that story, yeah. finding yourself in that story over It's a great over. example. Yeah. I wondered if you might tell us just a little bit of your faith story, maybe even start with a prompt you left us with. My faith is blank and blank. Ooh, turning it around I on am. the instructor. I'm the storyteller. Okay, my faith is blank and blank. My faith is, hmm, inconsistent mm. and inconceivably present. So uh, that sounds crazy. But, you know, one of the things we talked about was how often the best stories do put two things that are in opposition to each other. Two two different things, two opposite things can both at the same time be true. And so my faith is inconsistent. Uh, I was raised Lutheran. I'm a lifelong Lutheran. I was raised a kid who had to go to church every Sunday. And then at the point when I didn't have to go, I voluntarily went because I enjoyed it. Mm. I love the community of faithful people. I enjoy the sharing of stories, the sharing of the peace, the sharing of music. I'm a singer. And so that was just, without question for me, a part of my weekly rhythm And then in my growing up and reaching adulthood, it became a little bit less church. Going to worship became a little bit less important because it was complicated to fit it in. Mm. But faith didn't leave. I remained a person who read the Bible, who hummed hymns in the shower, you know. Mm -hmm. And then my faith was tested. And after I had my first child... I had a series of three miscarriages in Mm. rapid succession, and I was angry, 
and couldn't pray because I couldn't find the words. I was too angry with God. That he, how could God let this happen to me? How dare God do this to me? And fortunately, because even though my faith was inconsistent, it was also inconceivably always present, the people who knew me from my faith community carried me through that. Mm. And when they knew that I couldn't pray because I was too angry, they prayed for me. Mm. And they had the good sense sometimes to not even tell me that they were praying for me because that would have... I would have wanted to put a strong arm up against them, but they kept it up. And when the moments were right, they welcomed me in and they showed me who Jesus was even when I couldn't look at Jesus myself. Mm. And so that that carried me through a very difficult stretch. And eventually I was able to return to my faith and not be so angry. And uh, now that I did, I did successfully have two more kids after the three miscarriages mm. and then through crazy twists of, I can't even say fate because I don't believe in fate, but in, in crazy twists of life, I'm now a mother of six. You know, I gave birth to three, and then I have three stepchildren, and I have this life that I would have never anticipated, and it's it's hard and beautiful in turns. And there are days when my faith is strong, and there are days when I question everything. So it's always there. It's just inconsistent. Mm, yeah. Yeah, and what's you know what's amazing about that your story of of pregnancy loss is that you became a part of Jen and mine's story in that same kind of journey. So, um, for our listeners, um, Jen and I were at the church where Beth attended at the time that we had a miscarriage, and found ourselves in that same. This is me finding my, myself in your story mm-hmm, again, but right. had that same experience of um, uh, you know of anger of uh-huh. not being able to pray, not even being able to hope for another child yeah. or for, um, and you were part of the community that when Jen shared that with the community that, that came around us and held that hope and held that prayer for us. Mm-hmm. It's hard too in moments like that because all of our stories are different. There are common mm-hmm. threads. There are these universal things that happen. And even, you know, people who are listening to us right now who've never been involved, never been a a couple that experienced a miscarriage, we've all experienced loss. And so even somebody who could not exactly identify with the two stories that you and I just told, they felt loss. So they're in yeah. our story. You know, it, yeah. it's extraordinary how that happens. Prayer is a whole other kind of storytelling. And, you know, the stories that we tell ourselves in our prayers are one thing mm. God knows our whole story. Yeah. You know, God knows the truth. God knows more than we know. And uh, so I have I have struggled with prayer, especially as I have become a more, I don't want to call myself an expert, but as I've dug deeper into what storytelling means, I am a much more critical, I'm more critical of myself as a person who prays <laughs> because I want to be an honest storyteller with God. And I think that's hard. That's so hard in yeah. prayer because we want to ask for what we uh-huh. want. So that's a that's a deeply <laughs> philosophical thing, isn't it? That is. That is. <laughs> that is. Um, I, I love your your thinking about prayer in that way, though. Is that it is a story that we're telling to God, and it's sometimes when our when we hear ourselves telling that story to God, we hear where we're not telling the truth, yes, right? or we're 
you know, we have invented something that's not really there. Yes. Um, or we're not, um, you know, we're not seeking first God and his will. There you go. Yeah. The thing is, you know, even stories don't have to be real. Stories don't have to be true to be real. So we can, you know, we we devour fiction mm-hmm. all the time and we get absorbed by it. And a f- work of fiction can tell us a serious truth. And, you know, I suspect there's stuff in the Bible that's fiction, but it's truth, right? It's it's yeah. storytelling to make an impact, to, to mm-hmm. show us, to teach us. To show us a little bit of who God is and yeah. what he wants for us. Yeah. Right? So if we're telling, like in my prayers, if I am fictionalizing what's what's real in my life, but I'm telling God my truth, then I think somehow it's okay. But boy, is that a fine mm-hmm. line. Yeah. And, you know, fortunately, God knows more than I do. <laughs> fortunately. Good. Well, thank you so much, Beth, for coming and sharing with us and helping us tell our stories better. If um, if people want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Well, lots of ways. Um, I am happy to give my email address, so I'll give my personal one. And uh, if you want to do business, well, I can divert you another way. But my personal email address is B as in boy, G, Nyland, and that's N as in Nancy, Y-L-A-N-D, at gmail.com. If you're interested in the business side of my work, my website is spencergrace.com. That's Spencer like the name and Grace like we get from God. It's my middle name. Uh, Spencer was my dad's middle name. I always thought it would be fun to be in business with him. And uh, he died before I was old enough for us to maybe make that happen. So I always wanted to put his name on something. I put his name on my business. So spencergrace.com is my business website. Great. Thank you so much, Beth. Thank you. And uh, for uh, today, that's our story. Now, what's your story? This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Praising my Savior all the day long.